Hello, and again, welcome to Bit Depth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is Scott Booker. I'm really happy to have you. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I'm a little shocked that you waited a hundred episodes <laughs> before you came to me. No, I'm joking. No. I'm. It's kind of more of a thing of like, um, I can't remember who said it, but it was like Nardwar has a thing of like just ask. Yeah, and I didn't know that I could just ask. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners know, but I. You know, help. You know, I basically created this school, the the Academy of Contemporary Music at the University of Central Oklahoma. You know, President Webb pushed the button to make it happen, but it was it was my idea to to do something like this. And what I've discovered over the years is that about you know a, a great deal of our students are just. Um, too scared to come talk to me. <laughs> and that to me was shocking to find out because I, I feel like I'm a very open person and that that um, I'm easy to speak to. And I, I think, you know, so I, I was surprised when to, to, to find that out. So you can actually fill me in on my, my reputation now. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that uh, it's probably just the 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 names and the career and the prestige or whatever that might mean to people. And it's like, oh, I can't, I can't mess with that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, and I've discovered this even meeting a lot of, you know, celebrities or, or people that have done amazing things over the years is that, you know, they, they look at that as their life and that it's normal for them. So the idea that it's abnormal to other people, sometimes it's hard to register that. Mm -hmm. So for me, working with the Flaming Lips and and being in having this amazing opportunity to to start the school here and stuff, it wasn't like you know, there was this grand plan and, you know, I was some um you know, going on a mission to do it. It was like these were things that just happened to be opportunities that presented themselves mm -hmm. in a certain time in my life. And just like you were saying, um, just ask. I mean, that same thing could be applied towards yourself yeah. of like, just try it. Mm -hmm. You know, go for it. The idea of ACM actually started with um, just having one class, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I need to stop saying, you know, I noticed in another podcast, I say, you know, too much. So anyways, I'm going to, I'm going to work on, on that. <laughs> That's fine. That's but, the way you talk. <laughs> yeah. But the original concept of ACM really was, was just to be a music business class mm -hmm. because I'd noticed at a lot of other schools that claim they taught about the music business. They really didn't teach about you know, the modern music industry, they really mm -hmm. just taught about um, how to join the union or things that were more specific towards Broadway or if you were going to work right. in a symphony or something like sure. that, which there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a great career to have right. and, and a different thing, but it's just different from my music business. Exactly. And I was at this meeting at the uh, governor's mansion with this thing called Creative Oklahoma. And we... Each table was a group of about 10 people, and there was maybe two, 300 people there. And, and uh, I was at a table, and we were supposed to come up with something that tied commerce, culture, and education together. And, you know, to be, you know, honest, most of the people at the table, they'd been at a lot of meetings like this, and they, they weren't really that into it. They were just right. like, I'm just there doing my thing. But to <laughs> me, it was very exciting, this concept. And and I said, well, you know, one of the things I've noticed uh, was that there are no classes about the modern music business. So I thought, well, that covers culture, yeah. and that covers business, and that covers... Um, what was the third thing? Culture, education. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And and so, sitting next to me was the chancellor for the state board of regions at the time, and these are the people that decide what happens at colleges. And he mm -hmm. said, "You know, let's make that happen. 
Yeah. And so we started with the idea of just a class. And then to speed things up, then I met President Webb and we started having these regular conversations. Yeah. And then the idea came up of like, oh, maybe, maybe we do something that's like a whole school. And lo and behold, there, there it happens. Yeah. This is probably not anything you were even going to ask it me about. It is actually. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because you're already answering questions that I haven't asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I uh, can talk a lot. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. That's what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the actual first question, uh, what do you do? If well, there even is a way of answering that. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I have, I do have specific titles, mm -hmm. right? You know, so I'm the CEO and the executive director of the ACM at UCO and ACM stands for Academy of Contemporary Music at the University of Central Oklahoma. And um, so that is a job that came later to me, mm -hmm. right? You know, so ACM has been going on for a decade now. I started working on it about 12 years ago. I'm 53 now. So, you know, this was in my early late 30s, early 40s, when when this was all kind of happening. Before that, though, the other thing that was very serious to me and still is, is being a manager of artists. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've managed a bunch of artists, but there's been one constant, starting with the very first band I managed, which was the Flaming Lips, mm -hmm. and I still work with them. Yeah. And they're very much a part of even ACM. I think that... Yeah. Everything the lips do, I'm a part of. And I think to some degree, everything I do, the lips are a part of. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so managing bands is is part of what I do. And then, you know, and then, and then running the school. And then I also am trying to be very involved in the bigger picture of building the music industry being a catalyst for building the music industry in a bigger way here in, in, in Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, because we've got such amazing talent yeah. um, in multiple ways. But if you just look at all the artists and bands and people that have come from here, but they've had to leave to become huge uh, mm -hmm. because either – you know, record labels were somewhere else or booking agents were somewhere else or just the infrastructure to exist was somewhere yeah. else. Nashville, Austin, LA, New York, Chicago, places like that. Yeah. To me, we were wasting a huge natural resource. Mm -hmm. And part of building the school was, in a sense, I kind of have a 30-year plan of getting us to the point of where we could be like in Nashville yeah. or in Austin or something. And the first part of it was, you know, the school and helping create a base of, you know, people that are trained to do this. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's not like training to become, you know, a dentist where you're trained for one specific sure. kind of job. Um, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to be an expert at. What, what gets difficult about art and the business of art and the machination around the creation of art mm -hmm. is it's very fluid. Yeah. And that's, that's hard for, for people that aren't, artist yeah. or involved in that to, to understand. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what I feel like I've been able to be, you know, kind of good at is explaining that difference to people that, that aren't already part of what we do as, mm -hmm. as you know, artists or people that work in the art industries. And um, that's a skill set that I've been able to use to be, a good band manager. Sure. Because a lot of times you're dealing with people that just think differently. You know, the the band and the musicians have a mindset of what they want to do and how they want to do it. Mm -hmm. And the people that want to, and I'm going to use this word and I don't mean it in a bad way, but this is what it technically is, is, is the people that exploit sure. what artists do um, by 
you know, selling their music or selling their live shows or licensing their image for merchandise and mm -hmm. those things. People are exploiting the sure. rights that they are, uh, you know, given mm -hmm. usually for money uh, to, to, to be able to do something. So I've been able to kind of, you know, communicate to artists what uh, those people want and then vice versa, communicate to the people that want to work with the artist, what the artists really want. And I think that's part of the reason why the Lips have had such a long career is that Wayne and the guys have been very receptive in understanding what the other people, yeah. you know, want. And and that was something I've seen over my career where bands would um, give up or break up and stuff. And it's usually because they had these preconceived notions about how the music industry worked. And, you know, when they didn't become rich overnight or when they got signed to a record label and they discovered that they still had to do the majority of the work, right. you know, that they just didn't want to do it anymore, mm -hmm. right? Or couldn't. Maybe they, maybe there's this psychological thing where they just hit this point where I just, you know, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. And it is hard, you know, making art and hoping that people care about it and you know that that can be very very uh very difficult mm -hmm. um so i i i hope that over the years i've been able to help you know make that an easier path for both sides cuz my end goal is just for our lives to be richer through the great music that people create that i can i can help them get it out there so people can hear it and just make everyone's lives better. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's nothing, nothing I think more uh, blissful in a sense than listening to a record you really love. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I do. Yes. Um, yeah. What made you want to be a manager for artists? You know, I, I really, I didn't think about it in that way. I, um, how I became a manager is kind of backwards. I was working in a record store mm. called Rainbow Records, and that's where I met the Flaming Lips. But mm. I was already a fan of their music. I would go see them anytime they played. And um, so they would see me, you know, at that point, you know, it's it's like you go see a local band here. Yeah. If you go to see their shows all the time, you know, the band gets to know who you are, you exactly. know who they are and, and all of that. And um, I started promoting some shows. I did shows like, um, you know, a bunch of punk rock and indie rock stuff like uh, Super Chunk. Uh, I did a Nirvana show mm -hmm. and they, they didn't show up and I lost my life savings. That was kind oh. of rough. Yeah. $600. Mm -hmm. So wasn't, <laughs> wasn't it huge life savings, but back then it was. Sure. And, and anyways, so mm -hmm. I would do these shows. So I got to know the guys pretty well. And, you know, at one point we were living in this duplex and I was on one side and a couple of the guys from the band were on the other side. So we, we were hanging out quite a bit and, we got this phone call from um, someone from Warner Brothers Records, and they wanted to come out and see the band play. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, let me let me help set this show up. So I um, called a venue down in Norman, um, called the owner, and we set up this show. And the person from Warner Brothers came to see him. Her name was Roberta Peterson, or is Roberta Peterson. And an uh, amazing woman. She signed... Uh, the Dire Straits and Devo and Jane's Addiction yeah. and, you know, just tons, Katie Lang, a very wide range of artists. And um, so this is pre-cell phones, pre-internet. Um, and Roberta was at her hotel and the band were about to go on and she wasn't there. So I go down to the payphone and I call her and I'm like, hey, they're about to go on. Yeah. Um, where are you at? And she's like, well, I called a taxi. And I was like, oh, there's no taxis in Norman. Let me come get you. Sure. So I drove her there. 
in my beat up old Chevy Chevette. <laughs> and uh, luckily for me, I had this s- sticker on the back of my window for a band called the Bodines. Hmm. Um, they're a band from Milwaukee. Um, never a huge act, but some people know them and stuff. And and what I really liked was this Bodine's sticker. It was the first one that was like plastic that just clung to glass, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really cool. And I liked the Bodine's some, you know, I, I saw him play before. But anyway, she gets in my car and she notices that. And she's like, oh, you like the Bodine's? I was like, yeah, you know, I, I saw them. I think they're great, you know. And we talked about that for a bit. And she went, saw the band play. And they were amazing, of course. And immediately afterwards, she's like, let's let's go get something to eat. And we went to Denny's because <laughs> she thought that was funny too. And and uh, but it was the only place open, you know, right. that late, you know, in Norman, and Oklahoma. in Norman, Oklahoma, in nineteen, you know, eighty nine or ninety, whatever it was. And and so we went, and she literally even then was just like, "Come to the bunny." And we were like, "What are you talking about?" And <laughs> she was referring to Bugs Bunny, which was the emblem for Warner Brothers Records. Oh, you know, and we were like, okay. And at this point, I'm not their manager. I'm just their friend. I'm sitting there with them. And, you know, it was it was very, you know, everyone was like, oh, cool. You know, there was no like, and this is how the deal will work or anything like that. It was really just like, come to Warner Brothers. And they're like, okay. And, you know, that was kind of it, you know. Um, so I'm driving Roberta back to her hotel and she says, hey, do the guys have a lawyer? And I was like, yeah, they do. Uh, you know, a guy named Bill Burrell, he's based in LA. And she said, oh, that's great. Do they have a booking agent? And I went, no. And she said, well, they'll have to get a booking agent. <laughs> and then she said, do they have a manager? And I was like, no. And she said, you know, why don't you become their manager? <laughs> and I was like, I, um, I'm i just a record store clerk. You know, yeah. I don't really know anything about this. And she said, you know. Here's what I see. I see that these guys trust you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. You know, at this point, we had a really great friendship. And I was, you know, anything I could do to help them, I would. And and um, and she said, you know how to talk to people. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. You know, and it, at this point, you know, I look back now, you know, and Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. Mm. And in it, he talks about, you know, these people that do amazing things that became experts because they spent 10,000 hours mm. doing something. You know, the Beatles played yeah. 10,000 hours in Hamburg, Germany. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates had computers in their homes before mm. other people did. So they had all this time to spend. I do think of it now, and it's like, I started working at a record store called Sound Warehouse when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And at this point, you know, I was in my mid-20s. I think I was 23, 24 when this was going on. And, and, you know, um, I do think back and think, well, you know, in a weird way, I had gotten really great at talking to people about music and buying music and what they liked about music and things like that. So I felt, you know, in hindsight, I look back and it's like, yeah, she recognized something in that. And then she said, and I like you. That's good (laughs) enough for Warner Brothers, you know? And I was like, "Uh, okay. But I was too embarrassed to ever say anything to the guys. I never was like, hey, she said I should be your manager. I just didn't say anything. And, And, you know... The, the deal got made. Warner Brothers, you know, created the paperwork with the Lips Lawyer. And it was time for them to physically sign it. So, they're like, we're going to fly you out to L.A. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I wanted to go along. And I was like, I would, yeah. You know, I kind of <laughs> thought, oh, this is, this is my reward for helping them all along, you know, to mm-hmm. get to go to Warner Brothers Records, which to me was like Mecca. You know, it was mm-hmm. this... This place where all of my favorite bands, you know, worked at Warner, you know, were signed to Warner Brothers. And, and you know, it was legendary, you yeah. know, even just to go to L.A., you know, it was just like, man. So, they flew me out with them. And what they do is they take you through the building and you're introduced to all the departments that are going to work with you. Mm-hmm. So, here is the sales department. Here's the art department. 
um, here's your product manager and, and, you know, these different people that work with you, here's the touring department. And so I went to all these meetings with them and, and I felt like, you know, I had good questions and I was, you know, really, I, I was surprised to understand how much working in a record store actually taught me about how the music industry as a whole yeah. works, you know, because you learn about distribution, you learn about sales, you learn about even touring, you know, because you'd see uh, how the bands, you know, when they're going to come to Oklahoma or Dallas or something, and you'd see the routing and mm -hmm. it starts clicking like, oh, well, they're playing cities that they can, you know, drive to overnight and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, so... I'd kind of learned some stuff. And as I was going through these meetings, I was surprised at how much I actually understood what they were talking about. And they signed their paperwork. And there's this great photo of the four guys in the band and me and all these Warner Brothers people. And, and I really thought, okay, cool. That's kind of it, you know. And we came back. And like I said, you know, we were living in this duplex and, and, um, one of the guys was in my uh, part of the duplex talking to someone on the phone. I just heard him on the phone say, oh, you got to talk to our manager, Scott, about this. <laughs> and that's when I found out I was the Flaming Lips manager. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I became a manager. Right. So it wasn't like this plan. It wasn't right. like this saying. It was this... You know, and, and once again, this is part of why I want school to be the way it is. You know, if you look at how we're built, we have performance students, we have production students, mm -hmm. and we have music business students. Mm -hmm. And my idea was that hopefully the music business students will meet a performance student and maybe they end up wanting to work together. And then they record with someone who learned how to be a producer yeah. here at the school. And, you know, if you look at any scene that's happened over time, there's always young people that are wanting to be managers or record labels. And there's young people that want to be artists, of course. And there's young people that want to be producers. If you look at, say, Laurel Canyon in Los Angeles in the 70s, you had not only did you have Jackson Brown or the Eagles and, and you know, all these great you know, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, all these great artists, but you had young producers that were there yeah. working with them or people like Peter Asher that, that moved from England and started recording a lot of these artists. And, but you also had young guys that wanted to be, um, managers. You had in particular, I always think of, of a guy named Elliot Roberts, who is Neil Young's manager, started managing him in his 20s and still manages him. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been working together for 50 years. And his partner at the time was David Geffen. And they had a company called Lookout Management. And they were the same age as the artist. And they, yeah. you know, I felt like they understood them better. Yeah. So then they could work deals that made more sense for those artists and help them move it along. And um, so... That, you know, was part of the plan of doing this is I feel like, you know, I, I think the closer the artist and the manager and the record label are in mindset and age, the more successful it can be. So, you know, I think sometimes, you know, younger artists come to me and they want me to be their manager. And I, I, I'm happy to give advice and stuff, but I'm hesitant ever to take on bands and artists that are too much younger than me because, you know, sometimes I, I mean, there's things that I can do that are going to be super helpful for them, but I'd rather partner with someone and co-manage in that kind of situation because I feel like they need someone their age who really understands them and can, yeah. to some degree, translate what they want in a way that, mm -hmm. that us older folk <laughs> uh, need to be explained to, mm. you know some degree yeah um and you kind of answered one of my other questions which is um what makes a good manager um which yeah uh which you talked about like getting to know the artist but like what else do you think contributes to that well i think for me i think what's helped me become 
what I hope is a good manager <laughs> is is being willing to know when I don't know something hmm. and then being willing to learn about it. Yeah. You know, so to me, another reason why, you know, having a school is so important is I feel like I'm in a constant state of learning. Mm -hmm. And anyone that isn't, especially the way technology is changing, is, um, you know, they're a fool and they're not going to succeed or not do right by the artists that they're representing. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I'll be the first to tell you, I, I don't know where this is going. I, you know, in the sense of, you know, how does the music industry look five, ten years from yeah. now. You know, I don't think anyone can tell you what yeah. that is. Um, my mindset is based very much in the past of how to apply the past towards the present. Mm -hmm. And I find being around people who don't have the burden of that um, being helpful um, at times. So, you know, the first thing to me would be be willing to hear what others are saying and thinking and be willing to admit it when you don't know. Because mm -hmm. the biggest mistakes I've seen managers and people in the music industry make are when they act like they know everything and they make rash decisions that ultimately hurt everyone. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, in the movies and stuff, it always looks like, you know, the record labels evil and they're out <laughs> to exploit the artist sure. or the manager's dumb and they are only there to you know live off the fruit of the labors mm -hmm. of the of the artist and it's like man it's it's not like that everyone wants everyone to succeed yeah right you know the record labels they want the artists to succeed because they're actually more more often than not making more money from the artist than the artists are making sure you know and a good manager is they're not, you know, here's a piece of advice. If a manager ever comes to you <laughs> and they want you to pay them mm. other than uh, t them taking a piece, if they want money in advance, yeah, as opposed to helping you earn money and then taking a piece of that, mm -hmm. I'd say run away. Sure. You know, because they don't have faith in you, mm -hmm. you know. And that's, if they're, it, it just shows you that they're more out for the money than they are believing in what art you do. Mm -hmm. And I also recognize that early on, you know, for, for artists and, and managers and stuff, there's no money. If you're a manager of an artist who's making 50 bucks a night playing and, you know, your cut of that would be, you know, $10, 10, $10 out of that, um, what's, you know, how does anyone survive, you know, so... <laughs> Um, I get where that's tough and, and where you'd be like, oh, you know, you should pay me if I'm going to be your manager. It's like, eh, you know, you, you got to suffer along with the bands. You know? <laughs> um, so anyways, but I, I say, you know, be willing to learn, be willing to know, and ultimately always listen to your artist. I mean, it's like you'll hear from them what they're willing to do or not willing to do. And then it's your job to figure out what, what's possible within those rules. And, you know, if you feel like the artist is making a mistake, be willing to tell them that. Um, it's very easy to fall in the trap of like, oh, the, you know, I, I don't want to say anything to upset the artist, you sure. know. And then people make bad decisions because of that. If you don't have a relationship with an artist where you can actually tell them the truth, then it's not going to succeed, right? You know, and you know this, these, you know, this logic really applies to any business, you yeah. know, or anything, you know. But um, I think, in particular, working with musicians and film and and any kind of art creation, when you add business to it, it makes some of those things harder. Yeah. So you just have to get over that, mm -hmm. you know, and um, but ultimately, you know, listen to what your artist wants. Yeah. And and even when it seems impossible or counterintuitive, you should at least try. I I don't think there's a time now when Wayne comes to me and says, "I want to do something." I'll be like, 
uh, well, you can't do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm always like, not because I'm placating him and, and just being like, oh, yeah, we'll do whatever you want, Wayne. It's not like that. It's like, it's more like, well, let's try it. Sure. You know, and I've got a partnership with Wayne and, you know, in such a way now to where if at some point we do try it and it's not working, I can go to him and say, I don't think this is working. These are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we we agree and decide, you know. Yeah, to to follow a different path or uh, deal with it in a certain way. Right. But you know that partnership, I mean, between manager and artist is sacrosanct. I mean, there's nothing that should get in the way of that in in the honesty in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, there are times when there's very difficult things you've got to tell people, and you're just as a human, you know, you're inclination is tried to avoid that Mm -hmm. and um that that will that'll get you every time yeah (laughs) (laughs) um what important factors contribute to an artist's success well i think you know what i look for is um a certain level of you know pragmatism in in the band that how realistic are they mm-hmm. with where they're at in the world right now? Sure. You know, so if a band comes to you, and this is once again a lot of this is human nature, mm-hmm. where every artist feels like they're already at the best they can be. <laughs> you know, they are like, I'm great. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's your job to explain to everyone how great I am. <laughs> you know, and what. I look for are people that have already done a lot of the things that I'll be doing for them. Mm-hmm. Like they've already tried to get signed or they've been doing a lot of shows and booking them themselves or you know you know they've they've done a lot of the things that I will come in and be doing for them so they understand what it is I'm doing. And that way we can communicate better. Mm -hmm. Right. I was just having a conversation with someone about how, um, songs get, uh, licensed for movies. And sometimes movie directors will want you to write a song for the movie. Right. And a lot of times they'll just say, Hey, um, I love your work. Just anything you do will be great. Hmm. And then you go write a song for them. And they're like, well, you know, I have this scene where someone's being <laughs> murdered, you know, and this is kind of too happy for that. And it's like, well, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. And it's because there's there's a respect that gets in the way of of being honest in mm-hmm. a way, you know. So you 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 I look towards people that are willing to hear what I say. You know, and sometimes I'll say things to artists when they're coming to me for the first time that might be not off-putting, not like I'm being, you know, mean to them or anything, but I might say something that's blatantly obvious to me mm-hmm. just to see what their their reaction is. Right. Like, you know, most of the time it's usually is that's a horrible band name. You need a new one. <laughs> you know? Sure. And and um seeing what the reaction is tells you a lot mm. of where they're going to be even 10 years from now. If they're like, you know, that's our name and we're going to stand with it. And it's like, well, there's 10 other bands that have that name. Mm. You know, you, you this is going to be a huge battle. Yeah. Or if you get someone going, yeah, I know, I've been thinking about this. You know, I would lean towards people that are like, I've been thinking about this. You yeah. know, um, that being said, there is something for people that are incredibly passionate and believe in themselves. I mean, you need that element too, but... Too much of it can get in the way of of being successful. I think sure. sometimes. Yeah. Um, sort of a quicker question: Do you make your own music? Have you ever wanted to be a musician? Well, you know, I I waited too long. I I didn't um, take any music when I was a kid. I, I mean, my son is a trumpet player in marching band, but he's also an amazing guitar player. And I look back now and. When I was going to school, band just didn't appeal to me at mm. all. 
and I feel like that was a huge mistake. I wish I would have gotten involved with that and learned something. I mean, the idea of none of the instruments that were in band were played by any of the bands that right, I loved. Yeah. So to me, it was like, why would I do that? So I started trying to play guitar, you know, in my early 20s. And I can play some chords or whatever, mm. but I am not a musician <laughs> by any means. So... No, I don't make any music. I mean, there's there's a couple records I'm on that I was just there and made some noise. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I'm I'm not a musician. That being said, though, I do feel like I have um, I have a lot of knowledge about how music works and is made and how it fits together without being a musician. Sure, right? You know, so I'm not someone who just you know, there's people that know nothing about music and then there's musicians. I'm in this weird area in between, you know, and, and um, yeah, which is another place where I think I would have been a better manager if I was a musician. I think hmm. that that's something that I wish I could have, um, I could have done. And I, I, you know, you can always go learn. Right. But hmm. there's a lot of things where it's like, I'm, I'd rather listen to records than cool than play them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um. So, I guess some of the questions that I had you had already answered when you were you talked about ACM. Um, did did you always want it to be a school, or do you think it? Because you, know, you said it started out as sort of like a class, but then was it a vision of making it a school? Well, you know, I actually have a degree in education mm. from UCO. Okay. I was supposed to be a high school history teacher. <laughs> so, you know, over the years, I saw this pattern with myself where anytime anyone at, would ask me to do a panel at South by Southwest or mm -hmm. speak at a, a school if I was in town or something, I would always jump at it. And yeah. I love doing it, mm. right? You know, so I, I don't know, you know... I, I had a company before ACM started called World's Fair. Hmm. And what we did is we were a label management service. So we kind of would help artists if they had their own record label or if you were a European record label, we would have – we had an office in New York and in Oklahoma, and we had a staff of people that could be basically a record label staff for hire. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to do with that was create a situation where artists from Oklahoma could come in and use some of the resources we had, mm -hmm. like as simple as we had a color a photocopier there. Come in and make yeah. flyers for cheap. Sure. You know, I mean, just buy the paper and bring it in. Um, and we had access to databases of like every record store in the United States mm -hmm. and list of booking agents and things like that. That yeah. you know, you have to pay for these things, but it's not that much if you're a company. But if you're a band, right? It's it's really expensive. So I kind of had this open door policy where artists could come in and hang out and mm -hmm. and take advantage of these things. And I thought that all these bands would come in and and take advantage of it and they really didn't. You know, usually what would happen is a band would show up and they think that they would come talk to me and I'd I'd discover how amazing they were and then I'd want to manage them, right? Sure. You know. And there's only so much time a human has, right? So right. you have to be very careful with what you do. I mean, when I first started managing the lips, I was I started collecting bands like you did records. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was one point where I worked by myself and I was managing like 13 bands. Oof. And it was stupid. <laughs> I wasn't doing a good job for anyone, mm -hmm. right? You know. So you learn over time it's like, yeah, you you can't do that. So what I wanted to do was still help a bunch of artists but not have to manage them. And so there was a few bands that took advantage of it. One in particular did end up being a man that I ended up managing, uh, Color Music. Mm -hmm. You know, so Nick Lay and Ryan Hendricks both teach yeah. here. Um, and, you know, um, Nick is also in the Flaming Lips now. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, in fact, a lot of people that were involved with World's Fair have ended up either in the Flaming Lips camp or working here or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, which is very, very interesting. But I think that, you know, I saw that that wasn't, well, I don't think, I know that I saw it really wasn't working, mm-hmm. you know, that it was difficult. So I was kind of wrapping my head around what would be better to be able to help more artists here. Because I feel like, ACM, the concept was not only to have a class um, originally about the music business, but also how can it help not only students, but everyone around? Because Mm -hmm. everything is interconnected. You think about, you know, um, you and what you do. I mean, you've done a hundred blogs already. How many of them were people that you only knew through ACM. Right. Well, most. <laughs> yeah. But then there was a bunch that weren't, mm-hmm. right? You know, and those interviews that you did with people that even were connected to ACM, how many of them are also connected to other artists or other mm-hmm. things going on, right? Yeah. You know, so the idea was for to create something that not only would be a school, but also kind of a focal point for anyone that does something in the music industry to have a resource here. You know, so perhaps you, if you get connected to a student like you, you could come record here, Mm -hmm. right? You know, but you didn't have to, it's not like every member of the band had to be going to school for you to record them here. Yeah, You know, so it's like, to me, the school thing, that was an element of it that was just as important as having classes that yeah. that taught people. So I welcome our students and our faculty and our alums to bring other people into yeah. this because it, it creates more opportunities for uh, everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how we ended up being a school just was like, you know, a lot of times you know, when you when you think about what a manager does, I feel like a, one of the main things a manager does is it's our job to recognize an opportunity and then know whether to follow through on it or not. Mm-hmm. So if you're a band like the Flaming Lips, opportunities come daily. People mm-hmm. call, they want you to play a show. Oh, they want you to do a song for a movie or whatever. And it's like, you know, I have to weigh for a band like the Flaming Lips, you know, and, and the same kind of equation applies to anything um, when it comes to recognizing what an opportunity does. But what's important to the Flaming Lips right now, I think first and foremost tends to be the first part of the equation is time. Mm-hmm. How much time is this going to take? Yeah. And then the second part is what are the resources it's going to take to do it? And usually that means money, mm-hmm. right? You know, and then um, then you take those two things and you determine what we get out of it. Is it worth spending the time and the resources mm-hmm. on? And um, so I I kind of apply that to to everything, you know, that, that goes on here. And, and yeah, <laughs> I forget kind of where I was no, going okay. there. I, I was like, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, all of it is so interconnected. I guess I don't see a real difference between what we're trying to do for the community, what we are as a school mm-hmm. and what I do managing bands. Yeah. All of it is connected uh, because so often, like with all the master classes that I get to come through here, yeah. um, the majority of those are people that I've gotten to know through me managing the Flaming Lips. Mm-hmm. You know, so when when you get an artist like Jackson Brown to come here, it's because I I managed the Flaming Lips is how I got to know him. Yeah, and then we became friends, and I was like, hey, would you come speak at school? And it's like there's this level of of immediate credibility. When the manager of the Flaming Lips also works at a school about the music business. Yeah. You know? And so when these artists hear that, then they're more likely to say, yes, I'll come, I'll come do something. So it's it's all interconnected. So did I have an idea that it was going to be a school eventually? 
No. But what I did see was that the idea of a class was working. Mm -hmm. And then when I came across schools like there's an ACM in England and saw what they were doing, and then I presented that idea to the president here of like, maybe we should look at something bigger. And then he liked that idea. Then we pursued it, right? So you recognize an opportunity. This is what managers do. You recognize an opportunity, Mm -hmm. and then you decide whether to follow through on it. So the idea of not just being a class or being a school was something I recognized as an opportunity. And an opportunity is something that doesn't just apply towards you. It applies towards everyone who potentially is going to be involved in the opportunity. So like when a promoter calls and they want to book a band that I manage um, and they make you an offer, sometimes... You know, and this will sound strange for managers to say this, but sometimes they might make you an offer that's too good for the artist. And mm. then the promoter will lose money, and then they might not want you to come back. Mm. Now, I don't, I could probably count on my hand the number of times sure, sure. I said we won't take more money, but you want the experience to be good for the promoter because yeah. that promoter is someone you're going to want to go back and play a show for again down the line. Yeah. So you have to think about everyone involved. When you sign to a record label, if you sign a deal for so much money that they're never going to make the money back, mm-hmm. that's not good for them. Yeah. And it's ultimately not good for you because mm-hmm. no matter how much money you make, you're going to spend it and you're going to need more. Yeah. That's just, that's human nature. Mm. That's something I see. Again and again and again. I don't care who you are. And so, you know, you want to be very cautious and careful. And you want to think about the whole circle and everyone that's involved. And you want to do something when you're making decisions that's good for everyone involved. Yeah. You know, it might hurt everyone just a little bit too. Like, oh, that's too much. That's more time than we wanted to spend. But we get paid more for it. And then, mm-hmm. and then the booking agent, you know... It's like, oh, they're paying more than they wanted, but they get you there for a longer period of time. You know, whatever, you know, sure. there's give and takes, right? Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, with artists earlier in the career, you might make choices that when you take a class here and you learn about contracts and someone says, oh, you should never sign a contract like this. There might be times when that's the only contract. Mm-hmm. That's available to you. Mm-hmm. And then what you do, hopefully what we teach you here, is to whittle away the things that make it such mm-hmm. a horrible contract. But it's still not the best deal you could sign. Mm-hmm. But you're getting something that takes you to the next level. Yeah. So you always want to think in that that full circle. Yeah. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of a broader... Uh, musical and philosophical questions. Um, is there such a thing as bad music? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think bad music is defined by the audience that that loves that kind of music, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not um, I'm not the hugest hip hop fan, mm-hmm. right? You know, to me, hip hop. You know, I was I bought a lot of the the twelve inches. Uh, singles and stuff that came out by Run DMC and stuff when hip hop first started. You know, mm-hmm. I loved African Bombada and and that kind of thing. But where it's at now isn't my favorite thing. Sure, but I don't think it's bad music. Right. So I would be hesitant to tell you if someone came in, if a student came in and played me some of their music, I would be hesitant to say whether I think it's good or bad. Right. Right. You know. So I'd want one of my faculty or someone on staff here that's more into that thing. Sure. To come in and say that. So um, there is obviously bad music when in the sense of people that that can't hit, you know, the notes when they're singing or whatever. But that's a whole different thing. I mean, I don't think, I mean, my attitude at the school is really anything that anyone wants to try to do. I want to be a catalyst to help them be successful at that. Yeah. You know, I I hope we have some of the biggest pop stars and hip hop stars and rock stars and country stars that come out of yeah. here, you know. Um, and at times that means that I have to step back and say, I'm not the best one 
to help you with this yeah. because I'm not super knowledgeable in it, yeah. you know? And I, I think that's another thing, you know, going back to our earlier part of the conversation is being pragmatic and realistic about what you're capable of is, is a big part of being successful with what you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is selling out and is there such a thing as selling out? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the difference between when I was your age, selling out meant, you know, you would let people use your music and TV commercials and things mm. like that. And, you know, early in the Flaming Lips career, we determined that we were never going to be a band that really was going to get played on the radio a lot, mm. right? You know, and this was pre-internet. So it was like, if you weren't played on the radio, people didn't hear you. Yeah. So there would be opportunities like, hey, the Flaming Lips could be on an episode of uh, Beverly Hills 90210, mm. you know. And, you know, we had this debate, is that selling out, doing that? Mm. And my attitude has always been, if you're not changing your music yeah. to be on Beverly Hills 90210, or if you're not changing your artistic vision for your music um, to be on a television ad. If what they're using is the art you've created, I would argue that's almost more subversive. You're yeah. changing the boundaries of what people listen to yeah. by getting your music out there, regardless of whether radio plays you or not. Sure. So whenever the Flaming Lips would have a song on a TV ad, I looked at it like we're pulling something over the people's eyes here yeah. by getting this, you know, amazingly strange art rock band, the Flaming Lips, in an ad for Coca-Cola or whatever. Sure. Um, that to me was the best of both worlds. We get paid for it and we're being subversive. Yeah. It all goes back to a lot of my philosophy of things goes back to this band Devo, hmm. uh, one of my favorite bands ever. And and they had a huge hit with a song called Whip It, which, mm -hmm. you know, people always thought of them as kind of a joke, but they were right. deep, deep thinkers who their music was a reflection of humanity and where we were at. And um, I always took that to heart of like, you know, if we can do the same thing like Devo, who were you know, putting these thoughts out there that were, mm -hmm. were like humanity is devolving into something worse as opposed to getting better. Mm -hmm. You know, they grew up, you know, Devo, uh, Jerry, the bass player and one of the singers in Devo was there at Kent State, which uh, during the Vietnam War had a huge protest and um, the National Guard, which were other students, literally shot students there and killed them, mm -hmm. you know, at a protest. He was there. And that shaped how they thought about, you know, where the world was going. And, you know, I always looked at them as like, man, if we could be like that, where you're part of popular culture, but your message is, is this thing that, that people don't even understand sometimes that they're learning about humanity and how we think and, and, how things should be different through their music, um, that's subversive and that's amazing. And that's what art should be doing. And I feel like the Flaming Lips are like that as well. I mean, you know, Wayne and the guys, I mean, they they truly love people. And that is a huge expression, a huge part of their music. And anything I can do to get that message out there I mean, I know that sounds very simplistic, but um, it's it's important. And yeah. so, to me, anything we could do to get more people to hear it, um, then that's that's not selling out. That's winning. Yeah. And I feel like the idea of selling out has really, you know, gone away. So to me, you know, for commercial reasons, but to me, selling out is like. If you are an artist and you have a vision for what you want to do and you just give up on that and follow a path that someone else is leading you down, 
unwillingly. Mm. Now, that's the key phrase here. You know, it's like if you're unwillingly doing it, but only doing it for money. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people that are hired because they're great vocalists, but they might ha- have a vision of what they want their music to be. Mm-hmm. So they work with producers and then they create music that the producers want to do. And that's fine. I don't see that as selling out sure. either. So, you know, selling out is really only the individual can determine that. Sure. You have to determine that for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say that I feel like the Flaming Lips and um, any band that I've worked with, I've never felt like we've sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've done things to get people to hear us and to get messages across, but I don't feel like we've ever sold out. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> um do you separate art from the artist? Sometimes. <laughs> you know, you'll meet these people that, um, you know, I've been lucky to meet the majority of my heroes, mm-hmm. right? You know, I've met Bruce Springsteen and Lou Reed and Paul Simon and, and you know, Paul McCartney and Devo. And, you know, there are times when... You meet these people, and they're humans, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you meet them on a wrong day, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of mean, yeah, or you know, tired and grumpy. Sure. And um, you know, you you meet them, and it's like I just I don't know if I can ever listen to that in the same way again. Mm. You know, so at some point, you have to. I mean, there's there's some artists. Ted Nugent, hmm. right? Some of his early work, I think, is amazing. I love some early Ted Nugent. Hmm. But politically, philosophically, yeah. he is at the polar opposite <laughs> of where I am. And, you know, when I'm listening to Stranglehold, one of his songs, which I think is great, you know, it's like, um, I don't feel like guilty that I'm listening to it because it's a Ted Nugent song, sure. you know, where I might draw the line might be Michael Jackson at this point. Mm. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I kind of have a rule in my head that it's like, I, I can listen to everything up to the point of where he probably started going down a dark path. And I look mm. at that as through thriller, sure. everything after thriller, I don't listen to everything <laughs> before, you know, I'm okay with all the Jackson five stuff, but mm. you know, but I I don't know you know I think it's a it's a great question and and I I don't know I mean there's going to be as time moves on you know we're going to know more and more because everything is out there now right mm-hmm. we're going to know more and more about artists as people and who they were as humans and we might find these people that we don't like that they did something that we don't like I mean. Harvey Weinstein and his film company. I mean, what he's done to women is deplorable, but does that mean I'm never going to watch Pulp Fiction again? No. Mm. You know, where do you take it? Okay. He wasn't the guy who directed the movie, but he did give him the money to do it. And he's making money when that movie is being sold or watched or something. So do you not watch it? Because there's a lot of other people involved too that didn't do anything. Exactly. You know, so I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a tough one. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting question. And I think that, um, you know, that there's no, once again, there's no right answer for people as a whole. There's only the right answer for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Um, what advice do you have for artists that are starting out? Well, I think that, you know, depending on the type of music you're doing, um, what I always try to get people to do is focus, focus, focus on their live show and building an audience here. Hmm. Because if, if I do, if we do get to the point of where your music is something that a record label is going to want to sign, mm-hmm. odds are, unless you're a, a, going to be a straight like pop artist or something, mm-hmm. they're going to send someone here to see you play. Yeah. And if you're playing to eight people in your own hometown and they see that, you know, yeah. they're going to be like, well, if you can't even get an audience in your own hometown, 
and and maybe that's not fair to say your own hometown. Maybe it's like Denton, Texas, for some reason that mm-hmm. there's a there's something that you've connected to people there. That's where you send people. But you need to be ready. You can't just come in and think, oh, I've got this great music and that's enough. Mm-hmm. You need to have several factors going for you. You need to have who you are, mm-hmm. right? You know, your image, your look, what people want to see about you. You need to have that at least three quarters of the way there. Mm-hmm. You need to have an audience for you. Yeah. And, um, you know, those are the things I recommend for artists to be, you know, ready for. Because if if you do get someone from a record label to come out and see you, if you determine you want to be on a record label, you know, if you do that and they come out, that's going to be the only chance you have for that person or label because they're going to make their opinion right then and then it's going to be very hard to ever yeah. change that. And it's also, those people are all friends with all the other A&R people and stuff. So it's like you have to think about them going back and telling everyone, ah, you don't want to go out there. I saw them. They played to like eight people. And it was, sure. you know, the show was good, but why can't they draw more people? If they can't do it there, why, you know? And record labels now, you know, they they don't want to sign anyone until there's already something happening. Yeah. They don't have to, you mm-hmm. know? And now there's all the data out there for them to see, you know, how many followers you have on uh, social media and and, you know, you can put videos up so they see what you you look like and things. I mean, I think, you know, be prepared to be honest with yourself of what you want to do. Everyone acts like they want to be huge, but it's like maybe you don't really. Maybe what would you be satisfied with earlier in your career and focus on that? Yeah. You know, so is my end goal I want to play – you know, the Jones Assembly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, that's that's 1,500 people. That's a lot of people. Sure. You know, so maybe we should focus on playing, you know, the Performance Lab first and mm-hmm. see if you can get 300 people there. Right. Uh, and, then, and then go from there. So create realistic goals, but try and try and try to make them happen because the first time it won't, second time it won't, third time it won't, unless you're really, really lucky. And sometimes people are really, really lucky, sure. you know, but it's, it's like people that, you know, are in the oil and gas. Sometimes you hit a huge pocket of oil and gas and you make a crap load of money. Other times you try and there's nothing there, right. you know, but do you give up? No, you, you keep trying. Mm-hmm. Scott, thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Yeah. Um, do you have stuff to plug? Plug? Um, well, you know, uh, we're enrolling at the school. <laughs> so, you know, if you are interested in, you know, going to school here, uh, hit us up, you know, and and um, you know, we teach people to be performers, producers. We teach various aspects of the music business. So I'd love for for you to come tour the school and see what we're doing, um, you know, and 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 see what that's all about. Um, I have two albums coming out soon that I'm involved in. One is a band called Night Moves. It's a band from Minneapolis that I co-manage with Scott Marsh, who um, works at the Jones and books all the bands there and everything. And uh, their record's coming out June 28th on Domino Records. And they're amazing. They're really great. Young band. Uh, It's their third album. This is the first one I've worked with them on. And then uh, they'll be touring as well. And uh, the Flaming Lips have a record coming out on um, in mid-July called uh, The King's Mouth, which we released wow. for Record Store Day already, mm-hmm. but it's going out for wide release now. So wow. it'll be on stream. You'll be able to stream it, and there'll be CDs, and there'll mm-hmm. be, instead of gold vinyl, there'll be black vinyl copies of it available. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of it. You know, Color Music have a record that came out recently, um, and they're working on an, a new record mm-hmm. as well. They're very prolific. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and then there's just, you know, I mean, I, I just... All the bands from here, I mean, there's so many great artists. Um, 
you know, there's this band, the Sweet Talkers, that came to visit me the other day, mm. and their EP is really great. They're they're a band that needs to change their name, but I'll, <laughs> I'll let them I'll let them figure that out. But uh, it's not a bad name. It's just there's other Sweet Talkers, so it gets confusing. Mm. Um, I you know one of my favorite bands here is the Love Seats, uh, who are also perform under the name Chelsea Days with a couple extra guys. I I really dig what they're doing. You know. Mm. Um, I mean, there's so many things that are involved here. I mean, I always so happy with Dante Jones, who's one of our alums, who has a band called They that's on Warner Music. Mm. Uh, I think he's great. and But I'm almost just as curious about the other things he produces and other songs he works on and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just never ending. I mean, keep an eye on the, um, you know, Facebook pages for ACM and for uh, Hellfire, which is my management company, Hellfire Enterprises Limited. You know, I p- post a lot of stuff on that. And just, you know, um, yeah, that, those are the things I want to plug, I guess. Yeah. Listen to and pay for the music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These days, streaming is great. Just yeah. listen and listen and listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say that... Uh, I mean, now that I'm a graduate, but uh, ACM has been a huge part of my life, uh, my formation as a person and uh, uh, foundational for where my career is going to go. So I think that um, I wouldn't be who I am without ACM. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it goes both ways. It's like I'm a different person because of all of you that I've gotten to know and and everything that you guys have done. I mean, I recently got this award from the governor, um, you know, for the arts and education governor's arts award. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've said this time and time again, and I really believe it. I didn't get it. The school got it. Our students got it. Mm-hmm. It was about, you know, all the things that we collectively do. Um, I was just the representative for that. And, you know, this, Hopefully, you know, I mean, it makes me really happy to hear you say that because that's what I want is just this to be a catalyst for you to be able to do something you really want to do Mm. and make a good living doing that and be happy. So that's the next step, making a living, but that's a separate thing. (laughs) Well, you know, maybe you'll, you'll become this huge podcaster and people will spend lots of money wanting (laughs) you to sponsor them and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. Yeah. Again, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm Santiago Ramones. Scott Booker. Uh, You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. You can find my demo on my website, uh, Songs with Words, and you can pay money for that or not. Uh, Pay whatever you want. And then you can find this podcast on all of the places that you can listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Um, Himalaya is a cool thing. I think they have like tip jars or something. So, um, if you want to give me money, that'll be a neat thing. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I always end my podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.